You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. The format of today's case is a bit different from ones we have previously covered on Truly Criminal. As part of this episode, we travelled to film on location and talk to people connected to the case. We have done this episode in collaboration with Naomi Channel from The Real Podcast. Naomi is an award-winning television producer, and her podcast is head and shoulders above the rest. She seeks the truth, asks the difficult questions, and treats the stories with the empathy and respect they deserve. So, if you want to listen to a deep dive on this case, complete with interviews from various people, please go and listen to Real. This case is a complex one, with many people involved, many lines of inquiry, and more questions than answers. Although the case we are talking about today took place in Blackpool in the northwest of England, our story actually begins in the Midland city of Coventry. Coventry is a remarkable city with an extraordinary past, notable for its cathedral that was bombed during the Second World War, as were huge swathes of the city. The spirit of the people and the determination to rebuild meant that Coventry was named as a city of peace and reconciliation. It put its mark on the musical map too, being the centre of the music phenomenon that swept through the 70s. Two-tone, with bands like The Specials seeing considerable success. Our story begins in 1989, when, on the 25th of March, Karen Downs and her husband Robert, known as Bob, welcomed their daughter Charlene. Charlene was their third child. She had two older sisters, Rebecca, known as Becky, and Emma. Charlene was later followed by the youngest of the Downs children, and the only son, Robert. Charlene was described as a music and animal lover, someone who was close to her siblings, with a cheeky and funny side. Bob and Karen had married on the 2nd of May 1987 at a church in Hillfields, just north of Coventry city centre. Hillfields is one of the more deprived areas of the city, with antisocial behaviour and crime being common problems. Life in the Downs household could be described as chaotic or dysfunctional, and run-ins with the police and social services would happen. Those who knew the couple made allegations that Bob was addicted to alcohol and could show serious levels of violence and aggression towards his children. A court document from 1989 showed that the family had been under investigation by social services and West Midlands Police and it was found that a convicted rapist had had three-year-old Emma in their car without supervision and had also been in the Downs family home. Bob was given the advice that the person in question should not be allowed into the family home again, but this didn't happen, and Bob continued to have drinks with the individual in the pub. The police conducted a video interview with Emma in the hope it would unveil something more, but she disclosed nothing. She would later move out of the family home and, in 1993, moved in with her grandfather and his wife. After Emma moved back to the family home in 1997, allegations of sexual assault were made against a family friend, allegations also made by Charlene. The friend was allegedly trusted by the family to take the children to school in the morning, and a report from social services states that it was believed Karen and Bob were aware of the abuse, but failed to act. When Charlene was nine years old, an allegation was made that a friend of her parents had forced themselves on her. Now at the risk of the children being removed from the home and taken into the care of social services and the potential prosecution for neglect, in 1999 the family moved out of Coventry and up north to Blackpool. 
For many, Blackpool brings back memories of the illuminations, arcades and ice creams on the beach. During the day, the piers, promenade and beach are full of tourists looking for some time away. Home to the Blackpool Tower and the Tower Ballroom, many a famous face has performed in the town, everyone from Frank Sinatra to the Beatles. Thousands of people visit Blackpool every year during the summer months and tourist season, especially for the illumination switch-on. But behind the bright lights lies a very different town. A large proportion of those who live there live in deprived areas, and it is the sixth most deprived authority in England. There are high amounts of unemployment, and the death rate of those who die from alcohol-related deaths is the highest in England. There are also high levels of poverty, and the town is the 12th poorest area in the whole country. As concerns over the welfare of the children continued to grow, Charlene, Emma and Becky were placed in foster care after they said they no longer wanted to be at home. This placement did not last for an extended period of time, and the children were returned to the house. In 1999, Becky Downs alleged that her father was violent and social services said they were going to take it to court to try and obtain a prosecution. By the end of 1999, the children were put on the at-risk register and it was reported that domestic violence was present in the home. One of Charlene's friends, Martin, said he not only saw Bob's violence, but also predators at the Downs' house. By early 2000, at the age of 11, Charlene was staying at different homes and told the workers from social services that she was being beaten by her parents, showing them bruises. In March of that year, Charlene's school began to raise concerns that she was failing to attend classes and wasn't coming to school. Her parents said they didn't know where she was, as she stayed with many different people. A few months later, in June, Charlene was examined by the hospital, and based on what it found, it was suspected that she was the victim of sexual abuse. She made the allegation that her father had become violent and thrown her across the room, Following this, she disappeared for two days. Over the course of a 12-month period, Charlene would make 13 visits to a sexual health clinic with her grandmother. She had bruising on her body, including her inner thigh. Social services spoke to Bob about their concerns, that Emma had been seen with older men in the family home, and Bob later moved out to appease those from social services. He moved to Buchanan Street in September and took Charlene and her brother Robert out of the care of social services and against the wishes of the authorities. As 2001 rolled around, social services suspected that a male was in the family home and sharing a bed with Charlene. In April of that year, there were more allegations made by Becky and Charlene regarding Bob's excessive drinking and the men he used to bring to the house and the inappropriate sexual advances these men would make. Charlene allegedly told a social worker that one of her father's friends had touched her inappropriately. When health visitors made a visit to the family home in August, Charlene was found in bed with a much older man, as she counted some money, but Bob and Karen said he was just a family friend. One month later, Becky would move out. Over a period of 15 years, 16 men who had committed a variety of offences against minors had access to the family home's both in Coventry and in Blackpool. Bob and Karen denied letting predators stay at their home. Bob would drink at various pubs in and around Blackpool. During one of his visits to the pub, he met a man called Raymond Rowe, and he invited him back to the house. Raymond Rowe would end up staying at the property. Monroe is a convicted sex offender with four counts of sexual assaults against young girls, and he was sentenced to four and a half years in prison. 
Karen and Bob said they were unaware of this and only found out when the details came out in court. They said they believed he had raped an ex-girlfriend, information which did not stop them from allowing him into their home. One of Bob's friends, Glenn, claimed he saw Bob invite various men from the pub back to his house and that he had seen Charlene sitting on Munro's lap. He said he voiced his concerns about seeing this and said that it wasn't right. In 2003, Charlene visited a walk-in health centre three times. Karen claimed to be unaware of Charlene going to the health clinic and also unaware of the predators staying in her home. Despite moving to a different part of the country, it seemed that not much had changed and family life was still fractured and difficult. The 3rd of November, 2003. Hi, it's Hartful Police here. We just received a 999 call on your phone. Is there a problem? So my daughter's been uh, missing since uh, Saturday night. I thought she'd been back by now, but she hasn't returned. She came down to see me at work. I said, oh, I'll see you later, Mum. She went off to the phone and I've not seen her since. What's she called? Charlene. Charlene Dash. Can you give me a description, please? She's got shoulder length, dark brown hair. She has a fringe and she's got a fringe as well. well what was she wearing? She had a, a black jumper on. With, like, white diamonds on the jumper. How old is she? 14. How come you've not reported her till now when she's only 14? Unless she can come back, you see, but obviously she's not. And I know I should have reported it before. Are you at 109 View Cannon now? Yes, I am, yeah. I've got to go out. Sorry, I've got to go out shortly, though. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, your daughter's 14 and you need to stay in so we can yeah, take okay, her okay. some more. Right, OK, we'll get someone to speak to you. The police conducted a search of the family home and found nothing relating to Charlene or anything that gave any clues as to where she might have gone. They needed to work backwards. What follows is a timeline of what is believed to be Charlene's last known movements, although the details of this remain debated and there are differing opinions as to where she went that night. As part of this documentary, we went to Blackpool and met with Renee Crompton, who runs the Justice for Charlene Downs campaign, she walked us through the route that Charlene is believed to have taken that night. This timeline is also compiled using the timeline issued by Lancashire Police. But again, it's important to remember that the details do differ. The 1st of November, 2003. At 3.25pm, Charlene and Becky were walking down Bank Hay Street to get to the Coral Island Arcade. Charlene's friend Tasha corroborated this and said she had seen her there too. According to the police timeline, Charlene returned to the family home before going back out later in the evening. It is believed that Charlene and Becky went to the McDonald's close to the promenade later that evening. The pair then headed to Church Street and walked up it at around 6.45pm. It's alleged that they met with Karen Downs as she handed out leaflets for the restaurant she worked at, which was located on Church Street. Charlene then headed to a phone box on Leopold Grove before saying goodbye to her mother and going off with her friends. It's reported that Karen Downs gave them money. According to the police timeline, Charlene stayed with her friends for a while before setting off to Corn Street, and the details of what she did in the following hour are not known, but according to the police, she met another friend. Charlene and her friend Tyne went to the carousel bar at 9.30pm, where Tyne said men bought the pair drinks before Tyne lost sight of her. She said she never saw Charlene again. This does differ from the police timeline, which says they went back into town before going their separate ways near Abington Street and Talbot Street at 11pm. The last claimed sighting of Charlene was in an alleyway off of Abington Street at 11pm. This alleyway is somewhat notorious in Blackpool. Various takeaways back onto it, 
and young girls in the town would often use the alley to go into the shops via the back doors, later returning with things like money and cigarettes. Charlene had been expelled from school, and as she was now lacking in structure and routine, she would spend more time in the town centre and in the alleyway. As the investigation continued, there was no sign of Charlene Downs. Missing persons posters were put up and people were hoping for any news of her whereabouts. But the investigation soon stalled and the leads were proving fruitless. Then, more than a year later, in November 2004, someone would come forward and the case would take a dramatic turn. A man called David Cassidy came forward to the police with a disturbing story to tell. David Cassidy owned a local business that supplied slot machines to shops in the area. He said that a man called Tariq had claimed his brother, Ayad Albatiki, had confessed to murdering Charlene, and that another man called Mohammed Raveshi had helped him to cover it up. Mohammed Raveshi had been born in Iran before moving to the UK. He owned and operated Funny Boys Fast Food on Dixon Road, which is how he knew David Cassidy. One of his employees was his friend and tenant, Ayad Albatiki, who was originally from Jordan. This was the break that the police had been looking for. They asked David if he would wear a concealed microphone and talk to Tariq again to ensure that the conversation was recorded. David agreed. In the recording, Tariq is heard saying he never said those things, adding that it was bullshit. The police would later insist they had never seen or heard this recording. In January 2005, the police conducted a search of the home of Mohammed Raveshi, but nothing of note was found. On the 22nd of February, Mohammed and Ayad were brought in for informal questioning, and whilst this was taking place, wiretaps were put in place to record conversations as part of a covert operation. During the operations, Mohammed could be heard speaking to somebody about David Cassidy. They joked that he should be killed and then turned into a kebab. Mohammed's friend says, You have a kebab shop, sell it. Mohammed laughs and replies, Yeah, make a fake little kebab. While the police were conducting their covert operations, a woman whose identity is protected said she had gone into Funny Boys for a coffee after having a few drinks at another establishment. She said she had then woken up in the upstairs flat. She was on a bed with no clothes on. She could not recall how she had come to be in the flat or why she was naked. She said she quickly got dressed and ran out of the building down the alley. She stated she heard a man calling out to her and asking her to come back. When she looked back at him, she said he was holding some money in his hand. She went to the police to report the incident and the police allegedly told her that the person responsible was Ayad Albatiki and that he had raped her and filmed it. The woman also claimed that two police officers, Jan Besant and Don Fraser, asked her to make claims that she couldn't be sure were true. She refused and her case was dropped. No investigation was undertaken and charges were not filed. Covert recordings were made over four weeks and produced 52 CDs in total. However, officers would later describe the recordings as too distorted to use. One of the officers working on the case was Jan Besant, a detective sergeant. 
She offered to transcribe the tapes and would spend the next two years doing this. As well as running the takeaway business, Mohammed used to be a foster father for vulnerable children in Blackpool. Jan Besson questioned one of Mohammed's former foster daughters and she confirmed that there was nothing untoward about him and offered no incriminating or otherwise suspicious stories about him. However, one of Mohammed's ex-foster daughters would later accuse him of sexual assault. I woke up and his hands were down my pants with his fingers inside. I rolled over, kind of pushed them off and made like a big noise just, you know, mm, just to get them off me. Didn't want to think about it. But today, it's difficult. It's hard. Mohammed also lived two doors down from Don Fraser. He was also working on Charlene's case. Mohammed alleged that Don's wife had said that Don had difficulty performing in the bedroom and that she had made a pass at Mohammed. Mohammed said he turned her down and this situation was the root cause of Don's issues with him and their falling out. This story was very different from Don's. Don later claimed that his relationship with Mohammed had fallen apart after hearing that Mohammed had shown a pornographic video to underage girls in his home, he added that his wife had never liked Mohammed. These are allegations that Mohammed refuted. With still no sign of Charlene, the police changed their strategy. This was no longer a missing persons case. This was now a murder inquiry. The 17th of March, 2006. It was reported that two people had been arrested. Ayad Albatiki had been charged with murdering Charlene Downs, and Mohammed Raveshi was charged with helping him dispose of her body. In May 2007, at Preston Crown Court, Mohammed Raveshi and Ayad Albatiki went on trial. The prosecution claimed that either Mohammed or Ayad had been having a sexual relationship with Charlene, and that if the police had found out, they would have been in trouble. But both men said they didn't even know her, let alone have a sexual relationship with her. However, multiple people would later state that they had seen Charlene behind the counter at the takeaway shop, as well as experiencing inappropriate behaviour. Emma Downs described Ayad as a creep and said she had seen him behaving badly in nightclubs towards young girls. The police also claimed that there had been multiple allegations of sexual assault lodged against Ayad. Mohammed's house had been searched extensively, carpets and floorboards were removed and the property was gone through with a fine-tooth comb. No DNA evidence was found. The police said that the house had been cleaned, but Mohammed argued that there was no evidence for them to find there in the first place. The defence requested that the audio recording of the conversation between David and Tariq be submitted, only to be told it couldn't be found. The court then ordered that the police needed to find the audio and give it to them, and the CD was subsequently found, but it had a huge scratch on it, and as a result the police said they believed it wouldn't be playable. Jan Besson would later claim that if the audio CD had been properly declared, approval would not have been given to search Mohammed's home, nor to putting the recording devices in place. Don Fraser's account had been the one to enter the audio CD of the conversation with Tariq into the system, but he said this was not him and that he had been framed by someone else using his PC and logon details. He would later say, To say my heart sank when I heard this tape is an understatement. I didn't know anything about these CDs from 2005. I haven't got a clue what happened. During the proceedings, the covert recordings were played to the court and the transcriptions made by Detective Sergeant Jan Besant were the captions. 
Claims were made during the trial that after Charlene had been murdered, her body had been dismembered and put into kebabs in the takeaway and that her bones had been crushed up and put into the grouting. There is no evidence for either of these things happening. This narrative has been pushed and repeated when discussing Charlene's case, in spite of the lack of evidence to back it up, reducing Charlene to nothing more than a cruel urban legend. After the defence and prosecution presented their cases, it was time for the jury to deliberate. After 49 hours of discussions, they had failed to come to a verdict. As a result, the jury was formally discharged. On the 15th of September that year, a memorial was held for Charlene, which was funded by the far-right British National Party. An inquiry was also set up by the Independent Police Complaints Commission, and it found that the investigation into Charlene's disappearance was handled unprofessionally. This led to two officers facing disciplinary action, and one of them subsequently being cleared of any wrongdoing. In April 2008, a retrial was ordered, but this would soon come to a grinding halt and later totally collapse. The Crown Prosecution Service, upon re-examining the evidence, found that there were serious issues with the evidence presented, and that they had grave doubts about how reliable some of the evidence was. The covert recordings were criticised for their poor quality, and the accuracy of the transcriptions made by Jan Besant was described as low. Mohammed Raveshi's lawyer, John Bromley Davenport, said that Detective Sergeant Besant was not qualified to listen to and transcribe the tapes. An expert would later re-examine the audio tapes of the covert recordings after they had been played to the court, and they too said they were not of a good enough quality to be evidence. It also found that some of the transcriptions were different words. For example, one phrase was transcribed as burial place, but it was argued what had actually been said was Paul's place. The tracker that had been put onto Mohammed's car then showed him going to see one of his friends, who was named Paul. Forensic audiologist Elizabeth McClelland said that Jan Besson's transcript should not have been used during the trial. She said this is a classic case of cognitive priming. The evidence presented by Jan Besant was potentially misleading. It's extremely important that when recordings are transcribed, that the person transcribing them has no prior awareness at all about that evidence. In this case, it shows several signs that she was subject to bias and influenced by the events that she was investigating. Both men were subsequently released. The charges against Ayad and Mohammed were dropped. They were acquitted and given £250,000 in compensation. Mohammed indicated upon his release that he would potentially sue the police force, describing what had happened to him as shameful, having spent more than two years on remand in prison. Mohammed said that David Cassidy, who had made the statement that had led to the police looking into him and Ayad, had worked for him at one point, but he had been forced to let him go as he was bad at his job. David was enraged by being fired and proceeded to harass Mohammed as well as vandalise the shop. Tensions reached a boiling point when the pair ended up having a physical altercation. It was after this that David gave his statements to the police regarding what had allegedly been said to him. In 2011, Jan Besant was found guilty of two counts of misconduct and was forced to resign from the police force. Lancashire Police said her conduct had let everyone down. The IPCC Commissioner for the North West, Nassim Malik, said it was abundantly clear that the covert recordings and the investigation had been handled poorly and unprofessionally. 
Superintendent Simon Giles said that the police expects the highest professional standards from all our staff and the panel has found that this individual's conduct has fallen well short of these standards. The ruling that Jan Besson be forced to resign was later overturned by the British Arbitration Tribunal and they said she should be reinstated. The years would pass, tourists would come and go and the town would carry on but there was still no sign of Charlene Downs. It had now been eight years since Charlene had vanished from the streets of Blackpool. The police looking into her case found that more than 60 teenage girls had been the victims of grooming by people working in various takeaway shops throughout the town. Charlene's friend Tasha said that she had seen grooming in Blackpool firsthand and had also been groomed. Charlene's friend Martin and another friend Sean said that they had witnessed Charlene going into takeaway shops and then coming back out with cigarettes, money or alcohol. Charlene's friend Tyne said that she too would go into the alleyway and trade sexual contact for drugs, cigarettes, money and alcohol. Tyne said on the occasion she went to the alleyway with Charlene, Charlene would act as a lookout in case the police came and Tyne would give her money for doing this. Ten years ago to this day, the troubled teenager was last spotted in a bar on the North Pier with a vodka and coke before disappearing into a maze of arcades and kebab shops, never to be seen again. It's something like say, which um, I wouldn't like to say uh, wish uh, on anybody. Um, I mean, when you like uh, lose uh, one of your, uh, you know, your own babies, right, it's devastated enough. But uh, ten years on, right, it's still like um, as if it was like um, yesterday. As the years went by, her case became a cause celebre for the far right. They blamed Muslim paedophile gangs. BNP leader Nick Griffin even doorstepped prosecutors demanding justice. We're demanding a public inquiry into the failure of the establishment to protect young girls from grooming gangs. But the list of potential suspects stretched right across the social spectrum and included some who'd associated with Charlene's family. Lancashire police were heavily criticised for flawed investigations which delivered incoherent covert recordings. Now the inquiry is to be reopened and linked to the 2007 disappearance of 15-year-old Paige Chivers, another victim of grooming on the seafront. They were both victims of child sexual exploitation in the same area of Lancashire. Um, so... That is the link. Um, their paths to their, you know, tragic fate were exactly the same. Uh, and in that respect, um, the profiles of these two murders are very, very similar. Exploitation under the bright lights, among the fruit machines and doni kebabs, went on for years. Charlene and Paige were not the only ones. Police believe there could have been up to 60 victims and are hoping this post-Savile world will give them a voice. Paige Chivers was a 15-year-old girl who went missing from Blackpool four years after Charlene. Robert Ewing was later convicted and sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term of 33 years. He had murdered her after she had threatened to go to the police and tell them about the sexual contact he had had with her. Ewing, a self-confessed neo-Nazi, had been previously convicted for gross indecency and indecent assault against a 12-year-old girl. In 2014, a Crime Watch appeal was launched and a reward for any fruitful information was offered, totalling £100,000. Back in 2003, 14-year-old Charlene Downs from Blackpool vanished. 
The case was mired in controversy from the start with widespread allegations of child abuse in the town and failings in the subsequent police inquiry. But now there's a fresh investigation with a new team of detectives who we can reveal are tonight launching a staggering £100,000 reward for information which helps finally bring Charlene's killer to justice. So you want to show us some never before seen in public CCTV. Just take us through this, Andrew. What, what is it you think that you're seeing here and why is it so important? This is the CCTV from the uh, 1st of November 2003 and we have a confirmed sighting of Charlene that evening with a lady with dyed blonde hair in her 30s with a three-quarter length black coat and we need to trace that woman. So if that woman is you or you, or you know who she is, I'd urge you to come forward and speak to us and tell us uh, who she is so we can take this case forward. Okay, Detective Superintendent Andrew Webster, thank you so much for updating us on this very important case. As you've heard, it's been 11 years of agony for her family. Surely it's time we finally knew what really happened to Charlene. In 2016, a cold case team was brought on board to examine Charlene's case, and they found CCTV that had previously not been released to the public. It showed Charlene and Becky walking on the day Charlene had gone missing. It was released to the public in November of that year to try and generate any new leads and a Crime Watch appeal was issued again on the 13th anniversary of her going missing. In 2017, Karen and Bob Downs sued Lancashire Police over their handling of their daughter's case and the CCTV footage. August 2017, an arrest was made. A man was taken into custody on suspicion of the murder of Charlene Downs. Nigel had worked as a chef, and a restaurant he worked at in Blackpool appeared on an episode of Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, Clubway 41. Nigel Lloyd had attacked two 15-year-old girls in Blackpool in 2001 and 2003. He was convicted of these in 2017 and sentenced to 64 months, more than five years, in prison. The flat Nigel was living in overlooked the alleyway Charlene would often be seen in, and where she had allegedly been on the night she disappeared. Tyne said she knew Nigel Lloyd and referred to him as a creep. He also knew Charlene and her family. He was released after two days without charge and no charges have ever been filed against him in relation to Charlene's disappearance. In November 2018, Bob and Karen appeared on The Jeremy Kyle Show, a controversial British talk show where guests would appear to resolve conflicts, take lie detector tests and DNA tests there would be frequent confrontations and arguments on stage. Bob Downs later said they had appeared on the show to discuss Charlene's case, but it quickly devolved into talking about their marriage and marital problems. Also that year, Karen Downs released a book called Sold in Secret, talking about Charlene and her disappearance. In 2021, Charlene's brother Robert tragically passed away. He was found in a pool of blood by Bob on the 4th of December at 11.30pm, a few hours before he had complained he felt unwell. His family said he had been left deeply affected by the disappearance of his sister and had never been able to properly process or recover from it. At an inquest, it was ruled he had died of an accidental drugs overdose. It also came out that Bob and Karen did not call the ambulance for three hours. They said after finding him, they had fallen into a state of panic and anxiety. The ambulance wasn't called until nearly three o'clock in the morning. In November the following year, Charlene's friend Tyne died at the age of 32. An inquest found her death was drug-related. In 2023, 
the case was reopened by the Leeds Trinity University Cold Case Unit, teamed up with Renee in the hopes of finally solving Charlene's case. Renee said, our main aim is to review Charlene's case and see where the failings are and go out to get new evidence. Blackburn Uni also approached us to undertake a large child sexual exploitation project for the whole of Lancashire to find out the scale of the problem and where children are being failed. Bob and Karen said they have been verbally abused and taunted by locals after it came out that Raymond Rowe and other predators had stayed at their house. Bob again asserted he didn't know Raymond Rowe was a paedophile. They remain living in Blackpool. Unfortunately, Charlene's story is not unique. There are a plethora of young people who constantly fall through the cracks, and the people that should be there to catch them aren't. An internal police report would state that 11 takeaway shops in Blackpool Town Centre have been involved in sexually exploiting young girls. As reported by the BBC, the Times newspaper conducted an investigation that found the police initially had 100 people of interest due to how many people were believed to be abusing and exploiting Charlene. And that brings us to today. Today marks the 20th anniversary of Charlene's disappearance and there are still more questions than answers. The investigation into what happened to her is one of the longest running in Lancashire, with 2,500 statements being taken and more than 3,000 people being spoken to. This is about getting justice for a 14-year-old girl. She was someone who had already gone through so much in such a short period of time, and the least we can do is continue to fight for her. As Renee said, Charlene was failed by everyone that should have kept her safe. The police, social services, they all let her down. We're trying to build a legacy and fight for real justice for her, so she can be remembered for something positive. It is our hope that those who know more will come forward with the truth. Her whereabouts will finally be made known, and justice will be served. If you have any information relating to the disappearance or whereabouts of Charlene Downs, please contact Lancashire Police. <laughs>